I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So I'm recording this on Friday afternoon. Um, I just got off our group call with the ladies in the next chapter. And it just fills my soul to work with a group of women who are so hungry for real, truthful, non-judgmental, non-fear-based, non-shame-based action. And they're ready to get out of their own way. I remember when I first quit drinking, just wishing I could skip the part where I learned all about alcohol and went over and figured out why I was drinking. All of that just felt so shameful to me. And it's not that I didn't and still don't have to learn how to manage my feelings and learn what it's all about. I just felt so condescended to by having to say, okay, I'm not drinking anymore because I have a problem. I guess I'm an alcoholic. And the way we approach and respond to problem drinking in our culture is why we have problem drinking in our culture. And my approach is to help women move beyond the surface level issues of cravings and triggers and alcohol and drinking in social situation and get to the heart of what it is that will make you feel passionate, powerful, and feel like you have a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning. I remember as a drinker wishing something big would happen in my life, not bad, But gosh, I remember thinking, you know, if one of my kids needed a kidney, I know I could stop drinking. Like never think about it again. Or if, you know, a publisher called and wanted to publish my book and send me on a speaking tour, like I could be the next Brene Brown. Like I could do that. And I knew that with the right focus, I would be able to just shut it off. And I did just shut it off, but unfortunately, I immediately went into being indoctrinated into the culture of sobriety, which is just perfectionism in disguise. It's it's in disguise as a life or death situation. And all of the information out there that you can't unpickle your cucumber and that you quit developing emotionally when you qu- start drinking and you're an alcoholic and you always have been and you always will be. And no matter how long you're sober, like you can never have another drink and you constantly have to live in fear that one drink is going to send you right back into the gutter. Like all of that is bullshit. And I have a new masterclass coming out. It's not ready. Uh, I'm hoping in another week that delves into the research that shows I'm not just making this up. So skip to the call today and working with women who are literally not even quite sober yet. They're easing into sobriety and I teach them how to do that with self-compassion and awareness. And then of course, I've got women who have rightfully decided to go sober for a little bit, um, to recalibrate their brain chemistry, learn how to regulate their nervous system, you know, like pull over to the side of the road and fix the flat tire. You know what I mean? Like quit pouring alcohol on the problem, start taking care of yourself, learn how to enjoy the sober experience so that, uh, you actually have a choice whether or not you want to drink. And you do have that choice. We all have a God-given right to decide how we live our lives and what makes us happy. 
And there's so many mixed messages out there in the sober community, and I was parroting them myself. I don't identify as an alcoholic. I just don't want to drink. Wink, wink, nod, nod. If you do want to drink, there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? And being able to take women and help them deprogram their mind, unbrainwash themselves of the fake false information that we have, not only about alcohol, but about ourselves in relationship to alcohol, and watching them make the turn so quickly into a whole new existence, evolving on the biochemical and emotional and honestly, genetic level. Like I, you understand epigenetics, right? Our environment is what causes genes to be turned on and turned off. And changing your environment, and I don't mean getting a divorce and running away and changing your whole life. I mean changing the environment that is your inside voice and learning how to respond differently to yourself when uh, you don't meet a goal or not just learning how to set goals differently so that you're not failing. You're just celebrating the wins. When you realize that everything you are struggling with is an internal problem and that there's really nothing to figure out and you just need to create that space and take the time to heal your relationship with yourself, it's just magical. It's magical watching women go from, you know, crying in their drinks. I can't do this. I've done it before, but this program isn't going to be any different because I always end up back here. Learning how to respond differently to here and realize that your story about here, wherever that is in any given moment, it's just a mental construct and you can change your story. You can change the way you think. It is beautiful. That is why I get up in the morning because I absolutely love freeing myself every single day from my own mental bondage, but also showing women how to liberate themselves from all of the subconscious, unconscious, conditioned, unspoken rules that we've all been raised with and exposed to, and we pair it to each other. I am just as guilty, but realizing that just taking a little space and time to learn how to feel your feelings because they're not telling you the truth. There's nothing to be afraid of here. They are telling you of the thoughts that are not in alignment with your body and pulling them into consciousness and then flushing it down the toilet is how you process all of the painful emotions that are happening that of course build up when you are in a cycle of daily drinking. That's just magic. Today's episode is also magic. I met uh, Angela Masinek. She is the host of the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast. I met her just via, you know, sober community connections. And we decided to do an episode where she's not interviewing me. I'm not interviewing her. We're just having a candid and raw conversation about all the questions we ask ourselves in recovery. And if it really isn't about alcohol, then can we just order some wine with dinner? Like, is that that big of a deal? And towards the end of the episode, I tell you exactly the one question you need to answer for yourself before you make that decision. So with that all being said, um, get in the show notes if you are still looking for my masterclass, but just know that next week I'm coming out with a new one and it's going to be completely different. So watch in the masterclass that's in there now. It's fabulous. You can do that. Get in the show notes but also stay tuned for uh, my announcement next week when I launch a new uh, research-based discussion about the truth about addiction and the disease model of recovery. You won't want to miss that. Hi, welcome to the podcast. We are doing a co-hosted podcast today. So we're kind of going to just have a conversation about our own journeys to be here and how we ended up here and how we help people stop over drinking or quit drinking alcohol and what that looks like. And we might get into some controversial topics and questions. I'm excited to have this conversation, Angela, because it's just so good to kind of just drop all of the crap and having two women 
who are going through their own journey and then also working in an industry where there's a lot of normal and standards. And just to be able to get real about our own experiences personally with our people and what our thoughts are about everything. I just, I love a good candid conversation. Me too. And for Colleen's audience, just to give a little bit of background about me, I'm the host of the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast. I'm a certified Stop Over Drinking coach, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more about that as we go, but just so everybody has a little background about us. So I thought we could kick us off, Colleen, with just a little bit about how you got here. Tell us, you know, the quick and dirty on your story. Okay. I was a high-functioning drinker for many years. I would say probably close to 30. And I was always, I always thought alcohol was a very pleasant part of my life. I recognized that there were times when I overdid it, but I had no trouble getting pregnant or breastfeeding my Mm -hmm. children. I didn't drive around with my kids drunk. I truly thought alcohol was adding to my life. And it wasn't until the last few years where, you know, I experienced the stress of a divorce and then getting remarried with a blended family and really just kind of, what do you, you know, like my, I was experiencing a lot of stress. And so I was drinking more and more and I noticed that I was drinking more than other people. And I do what we do in those situations and you hide that, you know, you just, because the minute you acknowledge that you're struggling to control your drinking, then in our society, that means you do not pass go, you do not collect $200, you go directly to AA and promise to never drink again. So, you know, in our culture, I think because the narrative has been captured by the disease model, then everybody who's a normal drinker and experiences the very normal effects of drinking an addictive substance, that it gets mm-hmm. harder to control. And when you drink with stress, it's it changes your brain and mm-hmm. repetitive behavior. You learn how to drink and you just get stuck. So I did the shame thing for a few years and beat myself up. And I tried all the rules and tried to outsmart myself with water and exercise and supplements and mm-hmm. yoga retreats. But the bottom line is I woke up one day, six weeks into, co- into COVID mm-hmm. and said, I, I'll say anything. I'm an alcoholic. Just make this stop. Mm-hmm. And so I began my journey in recovery, going to online AA meetings and was lucky that it was during COVID because it did give me a timeout in my life. The exact thing that led me to overdrink in the first six weeks of COVID actually became my saving grace. I didn't have to drive or be normal or be a part of things. Mm -hmm. I spent a year in my sobriety doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which was call Mm -hmm. myself an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And then it was about a year into sobriety where I realized that I wasn't happy. I wasn't thriving. I wasn't bouncing back. Mm -hmm. And yet I was doing sobriety perfect. I went mm-hmm. to all the meetings and I did all the steps and I was marching in lockstep with all the rules. Mm-hmm. And so I began a more spiritual journey that first of all, led me to realize my relationship with myself was the problem. My perfectionism mm-hmm. was the problem. Yeah. I was beating myself up. And so then, you know, in addition to all of that internal work, I was also still me, you know, I started this coaching business and I was working with other women, you know, so I think that the temptation is to paint a picture of all good or all bad. You know, I did love sobriety. I just Mm -hmm. realized that the mindset that I was different than other people and that something was wrong with my brain was really holding me back. Interesting. Yeah. I love that you shared that. I mean, it's like, you know, when you were at that point where you're just like kind of desperate to fix it, you're just like found the thing that you probably knew the most about and that's AA and it is accessible. Like anybody can go find that, right? Like it's not hard to find a meeting if you live in the United States. And I mean, I don't know what it's like in other areas, but it's great that you had that resource at the time. And then 
listening to yourself, I think what I'm hearing you say through that work, you're like, something's still, I, I feel like I should be feeling more. This should be more lively or you're well, missing something. Was it, was what that I what I realized was that I was still playing the alcohol game. I had mm. just switched teams instead mm. of being team drinker. I was team sober, but a lot of my thought processes were about my relationship with alcohol, even though I wasn't drinking anymore. And I kind of, there was a conversation I had with my brother at one point and my family, I wouldn't say we're big drinkers anymore. I would have said that at one time, but alcohol's a part of our family culture. I was the only one drinking, you know, multiple bottles of wine. But when you are a drinker, you kind of don't, you don't notice all the details. I was a couple years into sobriety and my brother, I noticed he wasn't drinking either. And he goes, oh yeah. I said, do you want me to get you anything while I'm up? And he goes, I'm not drinking right now. And I said, what? Oh, did you quit too? And he goes, I quit all the time. I just don't make a big damn deal about it because I don't want to issue a press release when I start again. He's like, the rest of the world, Colleen, does not divide each other into drinkers and non-drinkers. Like we're not in high school anymore. Grow up. And I was like, oh. And I found that conversation really cool in that all of a sudden I got a glimpse of another reality where I don't have to identify by my past drinking habits. I don't have to make decisions on, you know, what that difficult time in my life was and what it means about my future. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I shifted my perspective that alcohol has nothing to do with my life anymore. Sometimes mm -hmm. occasionally I have a drink and it has, it, I don't identify as somebody team drinker or team sober. I, yeah. I'm just a woman living my life. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. So for me, it was, you know, probably somewhere I had two decades of hard drinking, partying in college. I had, you know, it, it evolved over time to like party atmosphere, no money, <laughs> broke college student to, you know, professional, had money, more sophisticated drinking that, you know, makes it confusing because it's, oh, if you have money or you, you know, I was in marketing and sales for a long time. So I had to entertain clients and travel and all of that. And so it just kind of get dressed up into looking like you're sophisticated and fancy and cool. Right. And so it just kind of kept creeping and creeping. And the more complicated my life got, the more I would drink. I mean, then I had three kids back to back and going back to work and, you know, the balance of all of that and not knowing how to do that. Alcohol was my go-to, you know, for, to relieve my anxiety and my overwhelm. And it just got to a point where I was just, you know, I, I recognized it was like, I, I finally became aware that I needed it. Like, it was like, I needed it to calm down those nerves at the end of the day and to quiet my mind and to give my mind a break from thinking through and replaying all the shit from the day in my mind. And then once I found, realized that, you know, I actually quit my job, I tried to de-stress my life and tried to change my life, you know, before I addressed the alcohol stuff. And then in that process of like me figuring out my life, I found life coaching and then joined a program. And then I learned that all of this was an internal problem. <laughs> and I was like, what? It's not my boss, my husband, my kids, you know, it's my own internal processing and the way I'm thinking about things and how I feel and how I react to those feelings. And, you know, obviously it's way more complicated than that when we get into stuff like trauma and stuff. But at the time, it was very clear that this was my own issues, right? It wasn't anybody else's responsibility for how I felt and what I did in my life. It was on me and I could change the way I was thinking like that kind of blew my mind and it changed everything for me. So I took a pretty long break from alcohol, cleaned all that internal shit up, thought differently about my life. Like that was that sort of like inside out type situation and my whole life changed. And it was so amazing to me and fast and wow and magical. I'm like, okay, I'm going to help other people do that. And then, you know, eventually I became certified and stuff and I kept exploring my relationship with alcohol and then ultimately decided like, it doesn't really have a place in my life anymore. I don't really like it or need it anymore. So I don't drink now, but I also don't put a label on it. I don't say I'm never going to drink again. I don't really like labels. I don't like having hard rules because I'm a rebel and I like to rebel against being told what to do. 
And so being an entrepreneur, like it's hard for me to follow instructions and work for other people. So those things, those kind of things don't work for me, but I like the parameters I have around alcohol now. It works for me. And I love that I get to help women figure out what works for them ultimately. So I love this conversation that we're going to have today because I think that really it comes down to what you want and you got to give yourself an opportunity to understand yourself, right? Know yourself, get to know what that internal thing is with you and figure out what's good and what's not for you. And nobody gets to say what's right or not for you, right? I also think that the expectation that there is a right answer Mm -hmm. and that you have to figure out what is Mm -hmm. good and that if something is a bad experience, that was bad. When I feel like what I do and the way I coach women is just to neutralize everything and to Mm -hmm. understand if you step outside of your life, you change your mind all the time. Mm -hmm. So even this idea of, you know, going into AA and saying, I'm never going to drink again. Like no matter how hard you promise anything, you know, I used to think I'd keep a perm in my hair forever. I mean, for sure, I want to have curly hair and everybody's going to know I have curly hair. I'm just going to keep getting perms. You know, we change our mind all the time and everything is Mm 50-50. I teach like a bell curve analogy where any experience you have, if you plot out let's say 24 hours in the day, 50% of those hours, minutes and seconds are going to be above the bell curve on mm-hmm. the set, on the top half, the happy half. Mm-hmm. And then the other 50% are below. And so, you know, as I learned how to reintroduce alcohol, there was some bumps, you know, was I overthinking it? Did I have too much? How often? Like I traded the relaxation of never having to think about it again because I wanted to experiment knowing I could go back. So, so like, I can't say that my experience of drinking now, now I'm happier because I'm okay having one or two glasses of wine a week. Right. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. That's no more the answer than zero or a hundred. What I think we don't realize is staying present and evaluating the consequences. Is this better or worse? And not making it mean anything except inform your next decision. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I teach my clients, you know, if they have an overdrink or they drink more than they want to take the shame, put it aside for a second. We understand it doesn't feel good to be out of alignment or like to do things that you don't really want to do. That makes sense, right? But to be curious about it and just look at the whole picture and evaluate, right? Learn something about it would I choose to do that again? That's really all that matters is like that you're paying attention and you don't get swept away in the all or nothing thinking and making big decisions from that place that you're in. I'm declaring I'm not going to drink for 30 days because I'm so disgusted with myself or I'm going to do this extreme thing because of how I feel right now. But okay, what did you do? What could you do differently next time? And then there's just another decision ahead of you. Yeah. And I think that first question, what did I do well? What did I do right? You know, Mm -hmm. it shows that motivation to keep going is fueled by evidence of progress. Mm -hmm. And especially for women, we are fueled by shame. We think the worse we feel, the better Mm -hmm. we're going to do. Hence the one drink on a Friday night turns into 20 because screw it. I'll just start over on Monday. And we don't learn how to do this one step at a time where we've got Mm -hmm. grandiose ideas that we have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And we set conditions on when we're going to be okay. I'm zero or I'm only going to have two. We put a condition on that instead of just learning how to handle the experience and adjust in real time. Yeah. And so we set conditions on our own happiness. And when we set conditions, you know, they say happiness equals reality minus expectation. Mm-hmm. And if your expectations are unrealistic or they just didn't happen for whatever reason, you're agreeing in advance to, to not be okay. Yeah. It's- no, it's the same thing I talk about success is don't just say you're successful if you follow your plan or you're successful in quitting or taking a 30-day break. Like that actually doesn't mean success. We get to define what success is. So even if you say you're going to take a 30-day break and you fail three quarters of the month, 
the success in that is what you interpret it. What did you learn about yourself? How did you identify more patterns? You didn't give up, right? You got nuggets. There's other things besides drinking less alcohol that you gained from that experience. Let's find those. Right. And then at the end of the day, you're successful because you tried. But that is something that you need to learn how to think differently about because we're programmed by our society and our own minds, just the way that they are to think negatively about everything. And the way I teach sobriety now is that learning how to enjoy yourself sober is the real goal because we're not trying to be, who wants to be sober when they grow up? We all want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And the only way to really have a choice with to stay sober or to have one or two or 20 is to realize you do have a choice and that if you align your goals with being happy, a lot of things take care of themselves Mm -hmm. because 20 drinks under no circumstances makes you happy. You know, you're sick Mm -hmm. and hungover. So if you switch the goal from setting conditions on your happiness being tied to a certain level of sobriety or a length of time, and you just set it to being happy, then you make three quarters of your 30 days. You have one drink. Did that make you happy? Do you want to go back and continue? I think learning how to respond differently to our own setbacks and always counting the wins. So the way I teach it is the goal is to learn how to enjoy sobriety. So if you enjoy 15 minutes of sobriety on a Friday night prior to going and making a mess, then that's a win. That's 15 minutes more than last week. How have you moved the needle? You know, or maybe you stopped a little sooner. How have you moved the needle? Constantly looking for partial credit Mm -hmm. and giving yourself, what do I say? Give yourself a big win for partial credit. And then count those because that is how the brain rewires the dopamine, the narrative that if you focus on the fact that 15 minutes actually was really pleasurable, Mm -hmm. then you want to do it again. Mm -hmm. Unless you sweep all that under the rug and just be like, it's an all or nothing thing. And I screwed it up. Then you miss the little learning opportunities. Yeah. I think about, you know, how we feel drives what we do, right? So if you feel like shit, that usually doesn't drive the actions that you want to take, right? So if you're feeling disappointed in yourself, ashamed of yourself, think about what you normally do when you feel that way, right? Probably hide, <laughs> maybe, you know, hide, watch TV, drink, you know, do it, avoid, not look at things. If you feel curious or, oh, I did have a win here, that's going to put, that makes you feel more forward momentum. That's going to make you, okay, maybe I can just repeat that again. Maybe I could just try that one more time. Maybe there's something a little bit more I could do next time. It doesn't have that retraction that the other feelings do. So I love that. It's so important that we are highlighting and making ourselves look at what progress is being made. Yeah. And I often make it a game for myself, you know, and quite honestly, I don't have a lot of shame cycles anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I experience shame, but I know how to respond differently. It's stop, Mm -hmm. drop and count the wins. Yeah. Make it a game. You know, what went right? You know, Mm -hmm. oh, I screamed at my husband, but I only said fuck you once and I shut the door. (laughs) I didn't slam it. Or maybe you said it inside your mind and didn't say it out loud this time. (laughs) This is so much more than just being about alcohol. And to think that we're going to wake up one day and be the person we want to be, it doesn't work like that. You have to practice and noticing what went right in the middle of a screw up is how you motivate yourself to keep going. And then also change the relationship with yourself so that it's actually safe to be inside your body. You know, shame itself elicits a stress response Mm -hmm. and you feel the need to escape. And so learning, you know, it's not that shame is going to go away, but learning how to respond differently, that the shame is the problem, not the story you're associating it with the shame, to soothe that nervous system in real time. And like you, you made a comment about, you know, I, I connected it with something I say, don't think on shame. Don't mm-hmm. think under the influence of your own negative emotions. Yeah. Stop, drop, and regulate. 
Yeah. And then because the story in your head follows the state of your nervous system. So if yeah. you correct for that first, you're going to get a lot farther with finding those wins. I learned this amazing phrase that I repeat all the time by one of my colleagues, and it's when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So <laughs> you literally, it's science. It's like brain chemistry. When you're flooded with those heavy emotions, like shame, anger, frustration, you know, rage, (laughs) I'm just trying to think of all my big, hot and heavy ones. You literally can't access rational thinking because your brain is flooding you with these high level intense emotions. Right. And so you can't access the part of your brain that might be able to solve a problem with a good outcome. So we got to work on letting ourselves be there with those feelings, processing that, getting into our bodies, doing the, that sort of, I love this term now, it's like de-escalation of the trigger or whatever it is for you. And then maybe tomorrow or later you go back and you, okay, let me process, let me look at that like with my mind and intellectually kind of sift through that. But when you're in that space, it's, you're not going to make a good decision. So you don't have access to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, if you think of it kind of two dimensionally on a spectrum, you've got objective and rational and batshit insane on the other side. <laughs> and the more, the closer you are to that, you know, crazy, angry, upset, yeah. then the needle moves away from objective. You can't yeah. be both at any given time. And One thing that made such a difference to me is the learning of the fact that those emotions are actually biochemical. Mm -hmm. They flood your body. And according to Jill Bolt Taylor, I forget the name of her book, but she's a neurosurgeon who had a stroke and lost and had to regain so many things. And her research now shows that you can clear that emotional biochemical response within 90 mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah. And the more I I identify that emotions are in play, stop and deal with my emotions, then the easier it is for me to show up in my life how I want. And mm-hmm. that's a skill, but I would say in early days of learning that, it might take me a week to calm down. Now, if I'm upset, let's say with my partner, I can Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I take a potty break, Mm -hmm. regulate 90 seconds. You know, I know I was triggered, you know, and then I can say, do I want to go back into the conversation or not? But 90 seconds is all it takes. And so this really is what I would say a hope, hopeful, a beacon of hope to realize that it's just a skill. You can teach a kindergartner. It's not you that's overreactive. It's just a skill that you need to improve. Yeah. I love that. And sometimes go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's where you realize this isn't about alcohol. Yeah. Like focusing, you know, on sobriety, you know, there's so much more to life and learning how to be comfortable in your body. You know, in early days, it's important to talk about alcohol and what it does and learning. But really, there's so much on the other side of this. Yeah, you got to look at the precursor to when you want to drink, right? So what triggers did you have? What happened that day? Have you taken good care of yourself? All these things come into play. It's your life, right? And your own internal systems that are at play here. The alcohol is just the byproduct. The drinking is what we do. It's not really the reason. I mean, it does amplify things. Sometimes we overdrink, you know, it affects how we think and our feelings because there's a load put on our system and it can induce more anxiety, more overwhelm, more of those bigger type feelings and amplify negative thinking, which makes it all more complicated. (laughs) Right. But the precursor to that is, okay, what was happening in my life in my emotional state, how am I taking care of myself that led me to want to escape from that, right? It's not, I say, I'm like, my book is going to be called It's Not About the Alcohol because it it is like 5% and the rest of it is what's going on in your life and how we're probably not taking good care of ourselves and we're not re- processing and deregulating and learning how to be a human. Really, it should just all be like, let's just learn how to be human beings in a kind of a fucked up world. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's a. I now see that I was using alcohol as a shitty consolation prize 
to Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, I had four kids and then three kids in a blended family. All Mm -hmm. of them were teenagers at one time. I had the stress of, you know, ex-partners and just so much stuff. And instead of taking better care of myself, I, my perfectionistic mindset was like, you know, I can run marathons and I can Mm -hmm. take care of seven kids and I can cook everything from scratch and be a vegan and all of these things. And it's honey, honey, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I remember to the point what alcohol had robbed me of was my voice and my opinion, because I used alcohol to Oh, my favorite line was, I'm just going to drink through it. I'm just drinking through this. Mm -hmm. And so I wake up five years later and in early sobriety, my, I I was yelling at my husband and saying, you don't care about me. You don't even care about my needs. And he responded really lovingly, not in the moment, but he came Mm -hmm. back with his little reader glasses on and these, can you please tell me what needs you have that I'm not meeting because I'd like to work on that. I couldn't answer the question. Wow. I could not articulate one thing that I needed or wanted from him. And that is the cost of daily drinking is you are not processing your emotions. And what does process mean? It just means you're able to articulate and everything gets tangled. I I use the analogy with early drink, early sobriety, that your brain is like a drawer of all those tangled cords. Yeah. You know, all your thought feelings are all mushed together and, you know, he's late for five minutes and now it means he doesn't care about me or. Oh yeah. Like all of that stuff. And that's what like you spoke to. That's the work of, of recovery. You gotta unravel that shit. You gotta unravel it. Yeah. And you got, you know, there's threads in there that go back a long way that, and it's a process. Like I remember three years into me not drinking, I had shit come up from my childhood and stuff that was like, Oh wow. Oh my God, this makes so much sense. I didn't know because I had been numbing myself for so long, ignoring that stuff. And all of that played into my relationship with alcohol and everything. I mean, it's all so connected. And I think it's so important to give yourself an opportunity to look at that. And some people are scared of doing that because they don't want to, they don't want the stuff to come up because they don't think they can handle it or they just want to leave the past in the past. But if you leave that stuff unresolved, it, it does stay a messy cord and it will pop up in some other way. And I think finding it's like self-discovery, learning how you are. It's all about understanding why you do what you do and why you feel the way you do. And I think it's fascinating. I love learning another thread. I found one just this morning that was so (sighs) fascinating. I was like the time that I tend to myself and I give myself that time to look at what's going on. I've been having this very recent reoccurring feeling of, I just want to quit and run away, you know? And I'm like, what is that? Like, why? This is very familiar. And so I gave myself an opportunity to go in and like, I'm like, where in my past did that feel like? And it took me back to kindergarten where I was overwhelmed with all these little projects that they gave me as a first time schooler, you know, first time person. I didn't go to preschool or anything. And I remember hiding in the bathroom and like pretending I was sick because I didn't want to do all the work and going home. And it feels just, it's a very familiar feeling. And so I was like, oh, like, you shouldn't have had all that work as a kindergartner, you know, like we shouldn't be stacking work like that on our little kids. And so I'm like, you don't have to do it all. I'm like, Oh, you're right. I don't have to do it. all. I could just do one thing, (laughs) you know? And so learning that about myself and giving myself that opportunity to see that it's not about the alcohol, but if I never gave myself that space to ask those questions, I would have been carrying this energy of, I just want to run away and hide. And that leads to drinking. That leads to literally not showing up in the life that I have chosen to live. And I'm so glad that I got to pull that one out of there today. What's interesting is people, we, me too, we're afraid to feel the feelings because we think the feelings are true. And Mm -hmm. so learning, like the domino belief here, Mm -hmm. what do you need to believe is that somewhere you learned a lesson that was false. So yeah. as a kindergartner, you learned you have to do all the work or run away or whatever. Yeah. And so all you did was identify that, you know, I have a similar feeling that crops up that I will avoid forever until I realize, 
oh, this is the feeling where I'm telling myself, you're a joke. And everybody knows it. And that feeling will creep up for me. And the moment, because I have the tools and I've done the work, the moment I realize, oh, that there's that feeling, it's not true. And then like you did, I can put perspective. Where did I learn that? I learned it in seventh grade when I had a pair of pearls on and I could not hit the ball in softball in gym class. And Jimmy Kennedy was making fun of me and telling me I'm a complete joke. That's where I learned it. And so just being able to, and I, I often cannot remember where my false stories came from. I just remember that one. He called me a joke. And so now I can make that connection. But just realizing that your feelings aren't facts. They're coming from shitty beliefs that you internalized. And because that belief was shameful, you don't talk about it and you believe it. So your feelings are actually like there's a rock in your shoe. Stop the shoe and then look at the rock and say, baby, that's not true. Or that's not your fault. Or you couldn't have known. Or you did the best you could. Like whatever. It's so important not to be afraid of your feelings because they're not true. Yeah. I think they're just like, I call them little red flags. They're like, hey, you need to pay attention to me. Don't ignore me anymore. That got ignored. How long? I was five years old, 40 yep. fucking years. I, yep. and like, it doesn't come up very often. So I was just like, today I was like, let's look at this, you know, now I know. And then it's, what were you able to it do? Just immediately, to immediately like the feeling goes away. And if I felt so much lighter thinking, I don't, you know, cause we're entrepreneurs, the list never fucking ends about the work that you do. I mean, seriously, it just never will <laughs> just like yeah. mothering relationships, all of it, it's always going to be there. And so I'm like, Oh, I don't have to do everything. I could just literally pick one thing I'm going to do today. Boom. And it just immediately like this levity comes, right? Yes. Yeah. And as an, a fellow entrepreneur, that is my get out of jail free also is mm-hmm. I just tell myself, you know what, what is the one thing that is either heaviest that you want to get over with, or what is the lightest thing Because then that makes me feel lighter. It makes me feel more accomplished. Mm -hmm. So this superpower of knowing how to respond to yourself with love and compassion, not taking, you know, we always say that feelings are facts. And one of my favorite sayings is feelings actually are facts. It's the shitty thoughts causing the beliefs that you need to look at. Up and deal with the feelings with compassion like you would like as a mother. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite analogy because I'm a mother. How would I treat my child? What does she need right now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like the day before today, I mean, the day before I was like, I was calling my husband like, I just seriously, this is my default. (laughs) Full transparency. Sell everything pull the kids out of school, get in our minivan and drive to Mexico and live on the beach happily ever after. And I'll just have a little garden and homeschool the kids and we'll just go swimming and surfing and eat fish tacos. Sounds amazing, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going. So I'm like, I'm in the the zone of, you know, the Mexico thing and the, you know, living out of our van. And he's okay. You know, so it's like, I just, in the past, this would have cascaded into me actually doing something a little nutsos, right? Like yeah. quitting a job or moving across the country or something big like that to try to, to escape that, that giving up feeling like I just want to give it all up. And I'm like, I don't want to keep doing that, you know, or drinking and ignoring it all. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, to be able to say, you know what, I can look at this saved me from so much unnecessary suffering down the road. You know, and it's just, it is a skill that you practice and you get better at it. And sometimes you don't, you don't listen to it for a while until it gets really annoying. (laughs) One of the reasons I actually quit drinking was because I thought I needed to get another divorce because I was pretty Mm -hmm. sure all of my unhappiness was this marriage and Mm -hmm. all of the things that came with it. And Mm -hmm. one of the best things I heard in AA was don't make any major decisions for a year. And I was Mm -hmm. in a place where I was just going to do what I was told. And where I came to in that year was how valuable it is to learn how to stay and tolerate the situation you are as you Mm -hmm. are in the moment before 
you, because we think that the external world causes our feelings and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't. And so I did like, I am now happily married, didn't get a divorce, but I, I've learned that I need to get right with myself Mm -hmm. before I can make an objective choice about a path or whatever. And so you learning that, you know, it's Mexico. There's still going to be, you're going to Mexico. I remember thinking, I know I am going to Mexico. If I get another divorce, I bet I'm getting custody in my own brain. So (laughs) I'm just going to go have the same fight with a third husband, you know, and just realizing that learning how to be comfortable where you're at. And that is so counterintuitive. We just think if we can just do one more thing Mm -hmm. and change all of the other things that we're going to feel differently. And Welcome to Groundhog Day, the repeat yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. The same thing with people like my husband is somebody who up until recently changed his job a lot. And I just was like, honey, your brain goes with you <laughs> wherever you go. So let's just, you know, work on just being okay. And like, sometimes it's boring and that's okay. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable and that's okay. Not to say, to add to this, if you're in an unsafe situation and this thing isn't good for you. You got to make decisions, right? And that's going to be uncomfortable and complicated. So seek advice on that and support. But we're what we're talking about here is, you know, you know that you're safe. You know that you can hang on to a little bit to let yourself work through some of this and kind of get clear on, is this just my triggers and patterns or is this something else that I actually need to change my circumstances about? For sure. And I actually went through that with myself and that was where I decided not to, you know, pull the trigger on a divorce and complicate Mm -hmm. my life so that I couldn't focus on recovery. I was like, I am married, you know, whether we stay married or not, my husband is safe. He's generous. Mm -hmm. He's kind. There's a guest bedroom. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's okay for this to not be okay right now. I don't Mm -hmm. have to go fix you know, it, I have to fix myself and then make yeah. a decision down the road. Kicking the can yeah. down the road is one of my favorite things to do with decisions these days. And that doesn't make me a procrastinator. Like yeah. so many things kind of fix themselves. Which I, is how you know, we like, know patience, that your emotions. Time is like, just give it a day, y'all. Just give it yeah. a day. And like things resolve themselves so much better than like me getting all up in there and involved and overcompensating and sending emails and whatever it is. If you just all just pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Question how to number interrupt one. That. Yeah. Can this wait 24 hours? Yeah. Do that. Yes. Question number one. <laughs> Do that. Regulate your nervous system. Yeah. 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 What else? I was going to ask you, kind of throw something on you, and that is, what's your superpower as a coach? You know, part of what we're doing here is introducing our audiences to each other. So maybe you could explain why my audience wants to hop on over and subscribe to your podcast. Oh, I don't know if my response is going to make them want to hop over. (laughs) It might scare and intimidate them a little bit. But I think my superpower is that I don't, I can call out some bullshit. Like... (gasps) Yeah. Angela, that's my superpower. No, it I isn't. Really? Hat. Oh, yeah. man. So I love it. And I have a coach that works for me. Her name's Steph. Couldn't we call her Coach Steph? And she's just, it's like they want you to believe their story and give them an excuse. And I'm like, I know. Like they, but they can't, they're so in it, right? They're so in their story. They're so in their mind about why this is so hard. But I know the other side of that. And I know what is going on because I've coached myself to the end of time and I've coached hundreds of women through this, right? So it's like, you can't tell me anything that's going to be like, you're right, you're special. You should just keep drinking and you shouldn't, you know, process your feelings and you shouldn't change anything. Like you should just, you're a lost cause. Like I will never, ever say that, right? So that's tough love and that's uncomfortable for me to do sometimes, but I also think it's my superpower. And that's what I think that they want to hear from me because they can't, sometimes we just can't see it ourselves. When you're in your own mess, you can't see that. So I think that's my superpower. Yeah, that's my superpower too. And the more I lean into that bullshit detector, the bigger and the quicker the transformations are for my clients because they are paying for help Mm -hmm. and sympathy. 
you know, and what we learn, I remember one of my coaches saying, the moment you believe your client's story, you're both fucked. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we are, the whole point is to help you see a new perspective. And mm -hmm. if, you know, the one you're on, if, and that's where we identify our own problems as coaches, if my issue matches your issue and we've got matching bags, then yeah. it's really hard for me to not to see what it is that you can't see. So yeah. if I can't see it, the first thing I look at is myself. Mm -hmm. What is this bringing up for me? It doesn't mean that we don't feel bad for people, right? Like I have so much compassion and empathy for people struggling with real problems. You know, like I've, you know, probably like you, there's just nothing I haven't coached people through. I mean, serious death and family complications and tragedy. And you know what I mean? There's, we have to be empathetic, right? And we have to hold that space and be willing to take them to a new place. And I think I can do that really well. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Could be well, so I would say for you, and I don't know if this will lead to more conversation, but my superpower, what I would say I bring to an audience is if somebody is wanting to reintroduce alcohol because they're tired mm -hmm. of defining themselves by past mistakes. I've done it personally. Mm -hmm. I coach women through it. I've got a couple of episodes on my podcast that mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the pitfalls, the, these stages, all of that stuff. So if somebody has been toying with that idea, that is one of the, what I would say I'm niching into is helping women re-enter and decide if that's, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis if it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. One of my clients recently's husband gave it up for a while and then started drinking again. And there's just, she had so much internal drama about what other people thought about that. So you want to talk about that? Like if you did, have you declared, you know, sobriety or you're not drinking and then you're thinking about exploring drinking again, that also has a lot of internal drama, right? Because we worry so much about what other people are thinking. Do you want to talk about that? The first thing I would say is your thoughts about other people's thoughts are still your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is part of what I would say a litmus test is if you, once you know that you have the skills to own you know, I do something called an emotional ownership statement. So blank is not the problem. My thoughts about blank are the problem. So mm -hmm. my husband's opinion or my neighbor's opinion or my mom's opinion or my kid's opinion is not the problem. My thoughts about their opinions are the problem. And if you have the skill to tease that apart, then you own your discomfort. Because last time you checked your driver's license, you're a grown-ass woman who can make decisions on her own mm -hmm. and not owe anybody an explanation. Mm -hmm. So that would be where you might not be ready because trying to tolerate somebody's disapproval with a glass of wine on board yeah. makes it even harder. Yeah. You know, it's a skill. It's a skill. Yeah. I love that. Maybe talk about that, like, since that's, you know, something that you're going further in exploring, how do you know if you're ready? If you've oh. taken a longer break and then you feel like you want to start drinking again? You don't. Mm -hmm. You don't. When I thought about it for about three months, that conversation I had with my brother where I realized, oh, wait, there's a whole framework here that's a mental construct of drinkers mm -hmm. and non-drinkers. Mm -hmm past and future. I thought about it for about three months and what would that look like? And the where I came, and this is my journey. It's not like step-by-step, step, but I decided that if I had a drink and at any point it didn't go well and I opened Pandora's box and everything they say about being one drink away from falling back into the gutter, and mm -hmm. if any of that turned out to be true, what had changed for me was I was no longer ashamed to be honest and ask for help. And so I knew that if I found myself in that, you know, where maybe I would have a drink of alcohol and it would, my brain would react differently. Like all of that's bullshit, by the way. Like once your brain heals from addiction, your brain is not any different than anybody else's. So, but I didn't know that. 
And so if I had a drink and experienced a, an addictive rush of euphoric high, I would have a plan in place to call my coach, to ask for help, to remove the alcohol from my house, go back to basics, like whatever it was. So you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what the experience is going to be. Where you have to be is at a place you can trust yourself to get back out of a hole, to self-correct because Mm -hmm. you want to be happy. And so that's, that, that's, the litmus test right there yeah, is I do I that. trust myself to make a mistake yeah. and self-correct? Yeah. that, And that's exactly how I feel about myself. I know that no matter what, if I were to drink today or tomorrow, that I know how to figure that out to come back from that, to get help, get support. There's nothing wrong with me. I would never internalize that I'm broken or any of that. I'm like, I know the tools to get back to where I was going or to refocus. And however you want to phrase it, I don't like saying get back to how I was. Right. Because like, there is no just, there. Yeah, it's just, there. I know how I'll learn from that and move on. Like it's not going to define me well, at all. And I found this out after I experienced that is the truth. But mm-hmm. the science shows that recovery, six to 12 months of recovery the parts of the brain, the gray matter, the synaptic density that does get smaller in active addiction is can be greater in people who have overcome addiction mm-hmm. six to 12 months than it is in normal people. Mm-hmm. Translating that science means that your ability to self-regulate is stronger because you have learned how to crawl out of that hole. Mm-hmm. You have done the work to educate yourself about the drug that we call mm-hmm. alcohol and how it affects you. And so the belief that it's going to be hard for you to do that, which I still had that belief mm-hmm. and I was able to work through it. But now I know the science about it, that your prefrontal cortex is actually more developed in the self-determination, self-regulation department than mm-hmm. people who have never experienced it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we talked about this before, right? We have superpowers and this is one of them. <laughs> yes. It's like you've overcome so much adversity with that. And retrained your brain to do new things and to think in different ways and have new experiences and all of it healed that. There, there's a lot to be said about that. I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I go out and somebody offers me a drink, I'm very clear. No, I don't want to drink because I know it's going to decrease my quality of sleep or I'm feeling anxious and upset right now and I do not pour alcohol on that shit. Because I've done the work to articulate, I've learned, and I don't have rules per se, oh, I never drink on a Wednesday night. But I understand when it's likely going to be pleasant and when probably I would regret that. And that's all it is, is just Mm -hmm. getting to know your body and Mm -hmm. caring about that lady and her Mm -hmm. experience and acting in your own best interest. So, yeah. um, So what I was going to say though, is I watch other people vacillate. Oh, I guess I'll have one more. Or if everybody else is drinking, I guess I will. Mm -hmm. All of the things, like those things are no longer even kind of I'm here for a good time, not to please the people around me. But, you know, I've take I've done the work to do that. That's a, that's empowerment, right? When you decide for yourself what's good for you in that moment or not. And when you say everybody else is doing it and I guess what you're giving your power to what other people are doing or not doing and letting yeah. that decide what you do, which is not feel good. It, it just doesn't feel good when you do that. And then you don't take responsibility and you say things like all of my friends drink and it's really hard for me to cut back and blah, blah, blah. It's, you got to you gotta unravel that stuff and unattach that kind of stuff from your own relationship with yourself and what's right for you. Otherwise, you don't, we won't get very far. And as a coach with the bullshit detector hat on, that saying that we hear it from everybody, it was, came out of my mouth too, that it's hard for me. First of all, bell curve, every experience is 50% below awesome. And it's hard for you to not control your drinking. It's hard for you to not take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Choose your hard, you know? 
Yeah. Bullshit detector. Everything's hard. It's called life. This is what we yes. signed up for. Yes. And do you want to do you want to invest your hard in something that moves you forward or spend all your hard trying to clean up last night's mess? Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> no thank you. I choose self-growth over yeah, regret hard any time of the week. Feeling my feelings, being alive, you know, I talk a lot about in tuning into your liveness, like you're a human being, right? You've got all of these feelings for a reason. Like it's a good thing that we have our feelings and we get to experience them every day. It means we're alive. Yeah. <laughs> like literally we're alive. We're not dead. Yeah. And we want to give ourselves an opportunity for that to see what is possible for ourselves. And yeah, my, like my mission in all of it is to help people undo that and unleash there's themselves like you got so much to offer here and the habits and the drinking and all that sort of stuff is just it's a bummer when it and when you recognize it's holding you back and the biggest thing holding all of us back is our feelings our yeah. own feelings we're scared of our own shadow mm -hmm. what we're mm -hmm. gonna think about what other people think i mean mm -hmm. like you said a hangover you know that's five percent except maybe mm -hmm. on worst day, but mm -hmm. the actual effects of alcohol play such a small role. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we're avoiding our feelings because we're afraid of our own inner critic and our own judgment. And, you know, the quicker you move into the uncomfortable feelings, the sooner you're going to be able to resolve them. You know, one of the things I tell myself often is, oh, this is the part that sucks. Of my day, this is the part of the day that sucks, you know, and the more I lean into it and allow and stop with the, it shouldn't be this way. And I don't deserve to feel this way. No, this is the part that sucks. I know I could, you have stop, drop and roll or whatever you're, I have stop notice process. We call it the SNP. Mm. And literally the moment you acknowledge how you feel, yes. I am feeling disappointed, right? Yeah, It fucking goes away. <laughs> Yeah. The more you ignore it and not acknowledge it and resist it, the more it festers and bubbles up. Like it, it really isn't that complicated to do this no. stuff. And it's not terrible. It's the most loving thing that you could do for yourself is to acknowledge how you feel, you know, acknowledge how you feel and accept that it isn't true. Working through marital yeah. stuff. I realized I didn't want to think, oh, I don't think we're a good fit and I want a divorce. No, bring <laughs> that up, put it front and center. Cause it's not true that, you know, I don't like my husband. It's a thought. It's not mm -hmm. the truth. Trying to pretend like that's not true or make excuses, like, nope, just mm -hmm. put it on the table. There's a thought. I don't like him. What else could be true? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes he's funny. Okay. Yeah. You know, but if you ignore that feeling and then not pull out and articulate, bringing the subconscious into conscious awareness and look at head on and be like, that's one truth, but we got more mm -hmm. to look at it. It is such yeah. a game changer, such really a game changer. Is. And it's worth every ounce of pain <laughs> that you go well, through. It's going to hurt, it's gonna hurt yeah. either way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hurts yes. either way. What else do you feel like people need to know about you or your work? If, for my listeners, hey there. But Recover with Colleen podcast is where you can find me. And I write great emails. I have a Monday email list that I send out with my podcast. So you can get on my list. My website is Recover with Colleen. My socials are Recover with Colleen. I put a lot of time and effort onto the gram, mm -hmm. making helpful, you know, 90 second change your life videos. Some of them are better than others, but so that's it. <laughs> you can find me on socials and stuff. That's awesome. Thank what you. What about you? Tell my listeners about you. Yeah. So, you know, I have my Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast. That's what it's called. It's on all the players or my website, AngelaMasenic.com. And I'm at coach with Angela Masenic on the socials on Instagram and Facebook. And I also have a weekly newsletter called Thirsty Thursday. And nice. I write. Yeah, I write the little inspirational tips and advice, and I include my podcast in that weekly email too. And you can go to my website, AngelaMasenic.com, and subscribe to get my top three podcast episodes emailed to you, and then you'll be on the list and you'll get those emails. And I do want to make it clear for my listeners, because I just had Mary Wagstaff on, I don't know when this is going to air versus hers, but she, 
I thought I had booked the same podcast twice because her podcast is Stop Drinking and Start Living uh, and yours is Stop Over. Do you know Mary? I, I actually do know, Not I don't really know her, but she was in a group that I was in and I remember when she named her podcast that. Yeah. Um, so cool. Well, you would like her. She's great. But for my listeners to find Angela, make sure you go to stop over drinking and start living. And yes, those titles are close and that's why you're confused. And so is I, and it's okay. We got it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. All right, y'all. You should listen to everything that we're talking about. Learn how to feel your feelings, do the internal work, and then you get to decide what your relationship with alcohol looks like. Yeah. Thank you, Angela. This has been so fun. It's been great to get to know you. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. That is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have not hit the subscribe button, um, please do so. Uh, What that does for me as a podcast host is I get credit for the download, whether you miss it or not. And the more people that subscribe, the more people hear the message that I'm sharing about liberating yourself, not just from alcohol, but from all the bullshit beliefs we have about alcohol and just stepping into a powerful and passionate and purposeful life that you don't have to be afraid of your own feelings or your own mistakes, just stepping into your own power and living your life. And the more women that hear that, the more normal it becomes. I will no longer be cutting edge and controversial if you share um, this podcast and this message with other people. So hit the subscribe button if you don't mind, and I will see you next week.